Hello and welcome to the Axiom Insights Podcast. I'm Scott Rutherford. This podcast focuses on driving organizational performance through learning. Today we're talking about building a learning culture. There's been an ongoing conversation and focus on the learning culture of organizations for at least the past decade. And there are many articles over that time which talk about the connection between a culture that supports individual learners' interest in learning and connects that with the mission and goals of the organization. And over the past few years, we've seen some statistics which suggest a learning culture is at least correlated with business performance. A study released by Deloitte, for instance, found that companies with a strong learning culture, or in other words, high-performing learning organizations, are 58% more likely to be prepared to meet future demand, have 37% greater employee productivity, and are 92% more likely to innovate compared with other companies. And I'll include a link to a few supporting articles in the episode notes for this episode at Axiom Learning Solutions slash podcast. So today's conversation looks at building a learning culture through the experience and guidance of Rachel Horowitz, the Global Director of Learning and Development at Convitech. Convitech is a global medical devices and technologies company, and as we touch on, part of Rachel's challenge was developing learning that both met the legal and regulatory requirements for training, but also overcame the learner engagement challenges that are often seen, especially with compliance training. Well, Rachel, thank you for coming on the podcast. Thanks for talking with us today. I wonder if you could just give us some background of your experience in learning, sort of how long have you been in your role at Convitech? How did you get there? And what what did it look like when you walked in the door? Sure. So I've been with Convitech for three years, and a little over three years, and um, I took the role exactly to build a learning and development function. Um, prior to Convitech, I spent quite a, a few years at Mars, uh, M&M Mars, and um, I had led global instructional design, um, that I led learning and development for digital transformation, so I'd gotten a lot of different pieces under my belt, and this was an opportunity to own the entire function end-to-end and to build a function. So uh, to answer your question, when I came into Convitech, I like to say that the idea of uh, learning and development was for employees to complete their compliance training every year, and that was pretty much about it. Um, in addition to that, I had come in at a time when we just completed our first engagement survey um, in years, and the uh, learning and development area had gotten a negative percentage, if that's even possible. <laughs> um, so it really wasn't there, which means that I had a nice um, blank space to work with. Um, and in my first year, I'll pat myself on the back of the year, um, we had done another engagement survey and learning and development went up 17 percentage points, um, which was the highest out of all the areas. So I'd like to say that I've contributed and that was just the first year. So we're still on our world, on our, on our journey to building a learning culture. Um, but that was, uh, what I got myself into and, um, it's been really rewarding. So that starting point is probably not unfamiliar to other folks in medical devices, medical technologies, or other regulated fields where people look at learning as a baseline, as compliance, just mm-hmm. legal trouble. And so when you're starting from that perspective, uh, I guess it's not surprising that, that uh, people tend not to uh, love that type of training. 
Yes, that is true. We have um, we require in our heavily regulated environment about 12 hours of regulatory training a year. Um, so not only does that not leave much room for development, but it also um, puts a little bit of a bad taste in people's mouths when um, they hear training and they equate it to that. And then they think, oh, another two hour long PowerPoint presentation that I'm going to have to click through and sign in the test. Um, so, you know, we didn't have, um, I came in, we didn't have, we had some face-to-face -face training. We didn't have any virtual instructor-led training. There wasn't any, um, you know, e-learnings or animations or anything like that. So the concept of creating exciting, good learning was certainly number one on my priority list. Yeah. So let's talk about that first year, because if you walk in the door and you're sort of facing a maybe a reluctant audience and then a little bit of an uphill battle in terms of getting people engaged and excited about, about learning. So where did you, where did you just start understanding where, where, where the, uh, where the learners were coming from? Is it, was it talking to stakeholders or what was that? What was that process like? Yeah, it was a little of both um, or a lot of both. I think, you know, I had to spend my first few months really going on a listening tour. Um, and that included um, a 360 approach to, to listening. So um, meeting with our executive leadership team to understand um, their journey and what they were looking for capability wise to build. Um, I also had to take a peek into our, we did have a learning management system. So I had to take a peek into what was what was in existence, you know, what were our learners actually seeing? Um, but ultimately it was talking to our learners, talking to our line managers to understand, um, you know, what has there been experience? What's been their experience at Convitech? What has even been their experience outside of Convitech? So just to understand, you know, where are we here in the scope of what learning means to people? Um, you know, and what does capability building mean? Um, so I think you can't do it without really listening and observing. Um, also, I had um, an opportunity to go out with some of our sales folks and understand what it looked like on the front end of um, really what their environment is um, for learning. Because if for salespeople, for example, um, you know, they're out in the field. They don't have a lot of time to sit behind a desk and do their learning. Similarly, manufacturing, which I didn't get to do um, because of COVID quickly coming upon that, um, but our manufacturing sites don't have um, access to technology. They don't have um, the ability to even take time off to go and, and learn. So really understanding the environment, the content, the capabilities that needed to be developed and listening and gathering that from a variety of sources was the direction that I went in at first. So that was the first year sort of identifying those those gaps and those needs. And, and, and uh, that's something also that I, th I think a lot of people will uh, uh, identify with is, is the, the challenge of trying to uh, find the attention and time of people at the, in frontline roles to take them off of the floor whatever that floor is right. to, to, to engage in, in the learning material. So, so where did, where did you take that? And, and this is, this is probably year one and, for, and, and forward from there. What was the mix of solutions you came up with and how did that come together? Yeah. So, um, well, I will, I will say that um, on top of all this, COVID actually was a, a benefit to me. Um, and I'm not sure how many L and D people say that, but um <laughs> they may or they may not. I think it depends. But um, so I had gotten in the role sh very shortly before COVID. And um, I, I what I did was I created, um, bef but before that, um, I wanted to put together a strategy, a, 
a future state of what learning could look like. Um, you know, and that included um, minimizing all of the different spend of learning that was out there uh, because there was a lot, um, you know, whether it's consolidating vendors or consolidating programs and curriculum. Um, again, understanding what our senior leaders were looking for, the direction of the business. I came in at a time of transformation. So I seized upon that as one of the baselines of my strategy hey, we are a new organization. We have a new leadership team. We have a new operating model, a new vision and values. So what better to, to build your L&D strategy off of is new like that. Um, <clears throat> so really understanding you know, the direction of the company, how we were going to do that, the, the capabilities that we needed to build and understand that from the senior leader perspective. Um, and then the other piece was building the curriculum and um, building it in different ways that they hadn't experienced before. And that's why I say that COVID was my friend because we didn't have a choice uh, um, when we had to all of a sudden shift to um, virtual training or even all of a sudden our salespeople actually did find themselves with a lot of time on their hands um, because they couldn't go in to see their clients. Um, so we, I even, myself and um, a group of the senior leaders, we met at the beginning of COVID, we met literally every day to figure out how are we addressing and, and developing our salespeople's skills um, while they're sitting at home with idle time. Um, I feel like I'm a bit all over the place here. Um, no, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm tracking, I'm tracking. So, so, so you're talking about taking, you're sort of seizing a moment of opportunity. And, and I like what you're saying about, uh, about really building that, that alignment, you know, not only are you creating a vision for what learning needs to achieve, but selling that future vision, not selling, maybe that's too strong a word, right. but, but making sure that, that, that socialized to your peers and senior leadership organization, you know, the, the C-suite and inclusive probably, um, yeah. to make sure that everyone understands this is where we're going. Yes, exactly. Exactly. This is where we're going and why, um, you know, and why what was currently happening wasn't, wasn't the way of the future, but what is learning of the future and how are we going to how we, what are the steps I'm going to, the clear steps I'm going to take to get us there? Um, you know, because there were so many different challenges faced in, in, to get that learning culture. I mean, I also had to, um, I was fortunate enough to be able to build a team um, to be, I, I was also fortunate enough to have a budget um, to be able to spend in a smart way. Um, but, you know, I immediately um, seized upon opportunity. So one big big thing was um, bringing in a, a content library um, so that there was off-the-shelf content that was available at the point of need um, very quickly for our leaders and for everyone within the organization. That was huge um, because all of a sudden we went from zero content to probably too much curriculum um, that we had to curate, but it was there and, and all of a sudden um, our employees could take advantage of learning in a very quick and efficient way. Um, so yeah, I had to build, I, I had the benefit of building that vision with the senior leaders to bring them along on the journey. So when we were talking, and, and of course we, we had a, a chat uh, probably a couple of weeks ago before we sat down to record this today, but uh, I, I like the way you described the, the learning cultures. And I'm going to, I can't remember the term you used, whether it was pillars or areas, but could you talk us through sort of how you approach the whole of, of, of the elements of a learning culture and, and and the pieces or pillars that go beneath that. 
Yeah, and and I did call it pillars, um, and this is what I use to bring everybody along on the journey. So I created four pillars um, of learning and of creating a learning culture, um, and my strategy then was built off of upon that. So the first pillar was again that senior leadership buy-in, partnership, sponsorship. Um, I wanted them to know what I was doing, but I also wanted to leverage their expertise because senior leaders um, love to teach and love to get involved. And a lot of them told me that. So I wanted to leverage their expertise. So that senior leader partnership. Um, the next pillar was the curriculum itself. So um, how are we going to build learning initiatives, learning experiences that help to build those capabilities that we identified with senior leaders. Um, so again, that's where the content library came from. I also brought in instructional designers so that if the off-the-shelf content didn't make sense and didn't meet our needs, we could build some customized content um, to fill those gaps um, and streamline the curriculum. Um, the other pillar, third pillar, and there's four of them, the third pillar is around learning operations. So we had a learning management system. We had some processes in place, but we hadn't had them in place for this new organization. So we had to create um, learning processes, learning standards, governance, um, some ways that our stakeholders knew how to get to us and what that partnership looked like when they when they met with us, um, because there, that wasn't in place before. So that really learning operations piece um, was important. And then the last pillar is measurement. How do we measure all of this to make sure that we're impactful? Um, and so I hired somebody focused on learning analytics so we could measure the curriculum, measure capability building, um, you know, measure the basic parts of learning analytics out of the operations. That takes a long time. That, that fourth pillar is not something that comes as easily as the rest. Um, but those were how I felt like we were going to really define a learning culture at Competech. So that conceptual sort of structure then, uh, how long has that been in place? And, and, and uh, I would imagine that, that the maintenance and evolution of that becomes a little bit cyclical. I don't know if it's, if, it, if it's been around long enough to really have gone full circuit a few times, but I would imagine that, you know, as you develop systems and processes, that feeds measurement. You measure what you can gather with the data, and that drives your decisions on the content decisions you make, and that, that flows back upstream, right? Right, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, the pillars themselves uh, as a whole, were the banner, if you will, of what a learning culture looks like are similar, are, are going to stay. It's what's underneath that evolves. Um, so, you know, over these past three, four years, um, again, those pillars are the same. But, um, for example, we're going through an HR transformation. So this gives me an opportunity to leverage um, our L&D um, curriculum or capability building as it relates to HR transformation, um, manager skills, uh, career pathways, things like that, talent development, succession planning, all of those then are those the where we those capabilities and content pieces. Um, and then to your point, as we're able to measure more and more, we make and tweak and um, and assess along the way. Um, we're actually now, as it relates to learning operations, we're going to be moving into a new learning management system. So what is that process um, to move towards a new learning management system? And um, what do we need? And again, I feel like all of the different pieces are interdependent to each other um, to, to help feed what we ultimately want to measure and what we want to say is our impact in L&D. 
So can we talk about measurement a little bit more? Because I, I think that's fascinating. And, 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 and you sort of alluded to it a second ago. It's probably the most difficult part of all of this is, is, is trying to get to the higher level measurement. So, so what, do, what, do you, what have you been able to, to, to report back and what's on your wish list? Yeah. <laughs> yes, let's be real. <laughs> because I think everybody talks about measurement. And I've actually um, been reflecting upon it myself because there is the measurement, you know, when a, when a stakeholder comes to you and says, well, what's your ROI on L&D or what are we going to measure with this, um, with this program? I think my new approach is that we need to bring it, break it down to its pieces. So I can measure that, for example, um, we're able to measure um, that we have um, decreased the amount of content in our learning management system from 12,000 learning assets to 1,200. And I think that that measures efficiency. We've been able to um, you know, demonstrate that our, uh, the amount of hours that our employees have now spent in um, employee development pieces of our learning management system. Um, so again, that demonstrates that there's more of a pull um, and, and desire for learning. One of the biggest pieces I think that is that next higher level of measurement um, is that in our LMS, um, we can measure that um, managers are able to assign or recommend learning to their employees. And for me, that shows that managers are more focused on development. Um, so as we move up the chain of things. Now, ultimately, um, to your point, the longer term is that true ROI. Are we are we impacting the business? Uh, you know, have we been able to do that? And my wish list would be able would be to be able to say that absolutely that piece of learning really drove revenue um, in the in you know in the long term. But I'm looking at it more as the different pieces of the puzzle right now, um, and, and I'm I'm taking that. So you know the different projects that we've been involved in. Now our new learning management system actually will be able to measure knowledge improvement and confidence. Um, which will have a bigger direct, what's the word I'm looking for? The direct uh, impact, influence or impact? Influence, impact, sure. influence or impact, yeah, on, um, on the actual capabilities and on the business. So, um, you know, one example is um, safety stock, um, where we want to change now a global process for um, managing safety stock. And I will be able to say that due to employees learning the process, building their knowledge increase, um, building their confidence, we'll be able to much more adequately manage, manage safety stock. So I'm not on any illusion. I don't know if you want to hear, I'm not on any, under any illusion that learning and development, you know, is that direct impact, but it's those different pieces, I think, that are more important. I was thinking of it too, and, and, and uh, we have another episode in the podcast series talking about just measurement coming up soon. So mm. this is this is on my mind lately, anyway. But uh, one of the uh, parts of your learning culture and those pillars that I like is is the is especially if you look at it cyclically, you have measurement that that sort of feeds back into that leadership alignment. Yes. And to me, there there's the opportunity created there to to say, well, do your leaders, do your peers? I'm sure everyone cares about ROI. I don't mean to be flippant, but but is is that the right language to be reporting back to their stakeholders, or what are they really? What keeps them up at night? Maybe mm -hmm. better put it. And then yeah. you know, if you're if you're talking about well, we need to improve confidence and competence by this of in this function um, period, you know, of, you know, this year over last or whatever. Maybe that's the metric that matters. Yes. 
such a good point. That I, that's a really good point. And actually, that just reminded me, we've created, we have not created it, but we use the pyramid um, that actually outlines the KPI. So again, at that base level, um, how many people participated? At a more knowledge, what is the knowledge growth that you want? Ultimately, up to those um, business results. Now, one of the challenges that we face uh, and I'm sure others, is that sometimes our subject matter experts aren't so clear themselves. Um, <laughs> and so therefore, um, you know, you kind of, it's sometimes that, that measurement is a moving target, but it, I, I so agree with you. Um, it's let's get really clear on what matters to, um, to the stakeholders. And ROI is, uh, you know, a pie in the sky type approach versus something that's maybe a real clear KPI. You mentioned that you had curated down, if I'm remembering the number you spent, 12,000 content pieces to 1,200, so a, a 1 in 10 reduction. Yes. Which is which is pretty profound. How did you approach that and make the decisions about what was in, what was out? How did you work your way through that curation and consolidation process? The good news is nobody had been looking at what had been going in or out <laughs> or into the into it. So um, it, I'll say that in into the learning management system. So therefore, it was pretty easy at our first go to look at has anybody actually consumed this content in the past two years? <laughs> so that was an easy it's, it's so that gone. becomes a first cut. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It is gone. Um, you know, and then the second piece is um, so that, that made it kind of easy, I guess. Um, but to your point, um, we wanted to work towards um, a much more simplified, um, you know, micro learning, um, e-learning um, or something that was more engaging. So if it was um, also old and um, very much, you know, a 200 page PowerPoint that um, wasn't really following our new learning training guidelines that we put into place, that that got cut as well. Um, you know, and our learning management system, and I'm finding out that a lot of companies are like this, also had um, became a repository for um, things that are not learning. So that was a big change management, which I'm still managing. But we really had to make a decision and say, you know, you're I'm making this up sales incentive plans that your employees sign off on year over year. That's not training. That's no longer in our learning management system. Um, so things like that, that really weren't learning that also got cut. And then it came down to actually working with the owners of the content, our new L and D team to understand, is this kind, I actually went out to, um, for example, our manufacturing team. And I said, here's what's in the LMS that's under manufacturing. Uh, you know, what do you think? <laughs> do you, it's staying, it's going, is it aligned with your, um, is it old? Because I don't, I don't know, but I really had to go to the stakeholders and have them help make those decisions. Here are our guidelines of standards of what good looks like. If it doesn't meet it, are you going to update it, cut it, remove it, or, or make it gone um, is really, so we were ruthless. I'll just say that ruthless. Part of that also, like I would assume, especially if you're working with, with, Folks who are on the floor managing managing the the, the learner populations is, is okay. Well, how do you fit that into the flow of work? Uh, how do you deliver that in a way that that makes sense and and is is possible to, to complete? 
Right, exactly. And that was our, um, do you mean, sorry, do you mean getting the stakeholders to be able to have the time to go? To uh, well, the time is, is, of or? course, the, 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 first, the first barrier to overcome. If you don't have the time, then, then you know, it doesn't matter how pretty the training is, it's, it's not going to happen, right? Right, right. But that was, so one, our, um, we came up with um, this year or last year, 10 um, st training standards of what good looks like. So that was our leverage to be able to say, you know, again, to your point, is it learning in the flow of work? Does it actually have a business goal and objective? Uh, it doesn't meet this, 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 and this criteria. If not, it's out. But our number one actual guideline and the standard slash guideline is, does it have a current business objective? Um, so that also really made us make the cut in, in a lot of ways. And, and it's an evolving document. It's what makes sense, um, again, based on where we are in our organization. Um, I've done this before in previous organizations where L&D was much more mature, and that list of criteria would look very different. Um, so but this was a nice starting point for us um, that got us at least on the same page. So when we're talking with our stakeholders, we could have that conversation and whip it out. This is what good looks like. This is our expectations. Um, what are we going to do to to meet those expectations? Yeah, and and it's, not, it's something that uh, I think a lot of other folks could could model and and tailor to their uh, business specifics. It seems like a, a um, uh, it's a it's a job aid for your job, frankly. I think, yeah, exactly. In its own way. <laughs> Which I like to do. <laughs> So I wanted to talk a little bit more about uh, this internal alignment. I think having that uh, that, that scorecard uh, to to measure what good training looks like is is very important. Is there an annual report, or how how, how do you socialize um, your activities uh, to the to the organization as a whole? So we try to socialize these activities um, on a quarterly basis, give or take depending on what's going on in the business <laughs> with our with our priorities but um, at least regularly um, we we plan to we do report on um, the a lot of what I talked about before such as um, the learning operations cleanup um, or how we're doing against our standards or what we've decided to measure um, we do that on a quarterly basis and we report it to our HR leadership team um, who are typically our front line into the executive leadership team because they're working with the global heads on a regular basis. So they're the, the first point. And then um, I do tend to have it when I have um, my semi-regular conversations with the executive um, team so that they could see what it looks like specifically in their business units. Um, so we do report on, again, consumption of content, training hours, but also um, projects that specifically maybe come out of their um, out of their. Uh, business units or those that have taken advantage of our centralized projects or product programs, uh, such as our manager to leader program or um, our new process development curriculum that we've um, worked on with R&D. So we really try to report as much as we can um, to keep them in the knowledge and awareness of what's happening. What are you seeing in terms of learner engagement too? Because the, the ideal for, for a, a learning culture is, is not only the leadership endorsement, but, it, but there's the learner engagement and participation. So the push versus pull uh, yeah. uh, dynamic. <laughs> are you are you seeing, I think you alluded to a, a, a learning satisfaction measure, what was it, after your first year uh, that, had, that had shifted from the negative to the positive, right? Oh, yes. Uh, early, on, early on in the episode. But uh, how is that, how's that trending now and, and where do you see that going? 
Um, well, we actually are in the midst of our next engagement survey right now. So um, in the next few weeks, I'll be able to tell you <laughs> what I find. <laughs> um, all joking aside, but um, I, I would say that we are still on the journey. There is definitely much more learner engagement um, and we're seeing a lot more um, requests. So one example is we published about we, this summer, we published a first um, curriculum brochure, if you will, I guess you could call it a curriculum brochure of what's available. And um, we've seen tremendous uptake um, from that. So not only have we gotten great feedback that it's available, um, but we've been able to measure the before and after um, of people actually consuming the content out of that's been made available in that in that curriculum, as well as more anecdotal in that people aren't always coming to us, well, you know, what do you have available? And what's, you know, I want to build this skill and what's available. Instead, they now know where to go. Um, so we've seen an uptake in um, people actually just going to the catalog, um, which I'll take. I'll take that as a measurement of um, pull uh, for learning versus pushing it out um, in a meaningful way. The notion of a catalog as a, a simple uh, tool speaks to the internal marketing of learning. At, at, a, at a very basic level, it's it's simply communicating out what's available and making that making that known. A catalog or, or you know a, a brochure is is a very effective way to do that. I would think. Yeah. Again, it felt so basic um, to to do it, but um, it was nice. Again, it gave me another opportunity to make some cuts in um, in the learning management system. Um, but it was also great to be able to take stock of knowing that the way that we had structured it was what was important to the business. So we have curriculum aligned with our values and behaviors, our high performance team's principles, um, some of the, um, the business capabilities that we're looking to build. And that's how we structured the catalog. So that was really nice, actually, um, a nice way to pull it all together and be able to see, wow, We've done a lot in these past three years. My thanks to Rachel Horowitz. We'll share the four pillars of a learning culture that she described, along with links to a few articles on this topic, on the episode page. You can find that at axiomlearningsolutions.com slash podcast. This podcast is produced by Axiom Learning Solutions. Axiom is a learning services provider specializing in on-demand learning and development staff augmentation and also provides resources to support learning through content development, LMS administration, and leader development programs for staff at all levels, among other services. To learn more, visit axiomlearningsolutions.com. And thank you for listening to the Axiom Insights Podcast.